Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the 11 Personnel Podcast. And this is the first today. Nick Roush, I don't. I think they we've done this podcast without me, Adam Luckett, uh, but I don't believe we've ever done it without Nick Roush. Um, Nick is out on paternity leave right now. Just had a beautiful baby boy. I think born Monday morning, maybe. I'm not sure exactly when he was born, um, but congrats to Nick and Brooke um, as they're dealing with child number two, baby Frank, over there joining baby Duke over there in the Roush household in the south end of Louisville. So. We're going to be out without him today, and so we're going to do things a little different this week. It's the bye week, so this felt felt like a good time to do what some of you all have asked for us to do, maybe for a little bit, which, which is kind of a mailbag episode. That's kind of a popular format on some other podcasts, so we, we've opened up the email, opened up the DMs, opened up the replies, and we've got a bunch of questions. Uh, from you all a lot more I got a lot more than I expected so number one thank you for that that was really cool Um, number two thank you for a lot of interesting questions here that we're going to dive into Um, and we're going to dive into these questions first now we got a lot of questions about Tennessee and just Tennessee scheme Tennessee this Tennessee that and we'll get to that in the last part we're going to kind of all junk that together Um, and my producer Steven Peek um, cameraman extraordinaire who's behind the scenes usually is going to join us for some camera time too um, at some point today. So Stephen, just jump in here whenever you're ready for those of you watching on YouTube. For those of you not, uh, you're just going to hear our nice voices. So we're going to jump right in here. Um, Kentucky enters his bye week, 5-2, and 2-2 two, two and two overall. There's Stephen on the, on the camera. Stephen, say, say hello to everyone. Hello, hello everyone. everyone. Glad to be Glad here. To be here. And so uh, we're just going to get started here, man. Uh, we got, I, again, like I got a lot of feedback on this. I really appreciate it. The Kentucky five, huge win over Mississippi State, a back-against-the-wall win. It's a win. Well, I thought a lot of people were skeptical when they probably shouldn't have been last week because we've seen this team go through something like this before. They've always bounced back under Mark Stoops. There was no reason to think they wouldn't this time, and they did. But and they did it against a team that's pretty good, I think. Um, a team that's legitimate top 20, 25 team in the country. Team with a legitimate top 30 defense. A team with an offense that can give you issues if you do not play discipline, if you do not play sound team defense. And so I, I think that was a big win. It gives it the program, I think, a lot of juice going into this bye week. Um, but so, but we're just going to start off with some questions here. Um, a lot of portal questions here uh, this week, Stephen. Uh, at Chaka Cummings, I, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. If not, I'm sorry, my man. I know you, I know that he tweets at me all the time. Um, thank you, Mr. Cummings. But here, how would you rank our top three portal priorities in the offseason? That's a great question. Uh, it's going to be a busy portal watching season. When we get when this season ends in those next three months, talking January, February, March. That's going to be – and then even right after the season to get a couple guys maybe in for spring ball. That's going to be a big roster-building type part of the season for Kentucky. Um, quarterback's obvious. We're going to get into quarterback here in more detail later. Offensive line is obvious, right? they got to get some guys, at least one, at least two on the O-line. Uh, I think a big part in this offensive line situation is going to be what Kenneth Orsi does. Kenneth Orsi has the COVID year. If he wants it, he could come back for a sixth season. He's had to play out of position this year. 
If they could sell him on maybe moving back to left guard, that could maybe give him his best chance for maybe a shot at the NFL. And so I, that that is those two for sure. And then after that, I, I kind of have it as a three-way tie, so I kind of cheated here. Um, Chris Rodriguez is probably gone. We saw what the running back situation was this year. Um, it didn't look up to snuff to me for my eyes. I think they really need to consider adding a running back. They've got two committed right now, Khalifa Keith, Caden Mormon. There's a kid by the name of Jamarion Wilcox that they're really hunting out, out in greater Atlanta, um, Douglasville, South Paulding. It sounds like he might be a member of the class. I don't know if they're going to keep three backs in the class. They might end up – someone might drop out. Khalifa Keith just got offered by South Carolina. It sounds like he's been to Tennessee a couple times. So he's one to watch. Um, anyway, running back's huge here. I think they could – really benefit from adding a proven guy. And so watching that, like, it does Tank Bigsby get in the portal from Auburn? He's going to have a lot of interest if he does. If a coaching change happens there, that would obviously be a fit, I think, for Kentucky. But what's proven early, it's like you can find good running backs in the transfer portal. Um, Kenneth Walker at Michigan State was obviously the most important one. Um, And then after that, I had – Edge outside linebacker, you lose you lose Jordan Wright. You could lose JJ Weaver, um, and I think this year you see how important being able to play two of those guys is for this defense. Um, you look at it; they feel good about. It. I think Keaton Way, Tyree Sphere, Noah Matthews are all guys they like, but they're all very very young. So you could really use a veteran in that room. And then cornerback, I still the cornerback situation's iffy. They've been much improved this year. I think Keedron Smith was a huge find um, to really kind of elevate them there. But he's gone after this year. And so where are you at at corner? Um, are you comfortable with Andrew Phillips maybe playing out there? Can Alex Safari be switched to outside cornerback? I know Stoops likes him there. I, I don't think it would be a bad idea uh, to add a cornerback there. Um, Steven, obviously we're going to get a quarterback later. But, like, running back, what do you think about that? Like, that seems like the position – like a sneaky submission they need to add, right? Yeah, and yeah, uh, uh, you know, had, had some injuries, obviously, obviously uh, this uh, season, too, with, with the guy that thought that, that uh, could, uh, could be, be the, the, alternative the alternative to Chris, to Chris Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Right, um, yeah, that's The whole thing in the transfer portal that I thought Lane Kiffin did a good job of was going out and getting a kicker who can make 50-yard field goals. Do you think that there's any interest in going? I mean, that ruffle has been fine, and it's not always been his fault. But, but in every, in every SEC, SEC game, game Kentucky's, Kentucky's missed a field goal. I think, yeah, that, I think that's a high possibility. Um, a lot of it's going to depend on how they feel about Jackson Smith, um, the true freshman out of Boyle County. Stoops said this week on his radio show on Monday that Smith is redshirting this season, so we're not going to see him until next year. But I think, yes, that's something they do have to consider. But that's, that can be hit or miss. Mississippi State got a kicker, too. Um from the same conference as the guy Ole Miss came from, from the CSA, and he's been wishwashy. So, you know, you never – like kickers, you don't know until they get on the stage, right, if they're going to – if they have it or not. But I definitely think that's something that they could for sure look at. Maybe even a long snapper, you know. Yeah. Prefer yeah. walk-on if they can find a, long, a lower-level long snapper. Uh, yeah, I definitely think that's that's something they could watch out for. But really, I think running back – if Ramon Jefferson comes back, that's nice, but they, I think they really need to consider – going and getting a, like a dude at running back to come in and start for them next year while they while they build up that room. 
I don't know if some, some people, people had said, said you know, yeah, in some, yeah, of some of our comment sections, sections what does offensive, offensive line look like next year? And is there, is there a possibility of going into the, the, the transfer portal to get some, some people to block for that running back? Yeah, I, I mean, we'll see. Um, I, I do think you need to – my microphone's all messed up here. You do need to address – Offensive line in probably a couple spots. A lot of it's going, like I said, on a horsey. Because you could, you could have a scenario where it's Kenneth Horsey, left guard, Eli Cox at center. Then right guard, you can slide Jagger Burton over to. And then right tackle, you got Jeremy Flax back. You can feel good at four or five, and it's just finding a left tackle. But they're going to have to find something. In that portal, you, everybody knows that. That's going to be the – it's all we're going to talk about for a lot of the offseason is what they do at tackle, really, on the offensive line. And so we're, we'll get into all that later. Um, I've already had – any time an offensive lineman enters the portal, Stephen, i got people – is this guy any good? Can this guy play at Kentucky? So, yeah. I mean, it's going to be uh, a long offseason of that. But we'll go do, ahead. Do you feel like go ahead. That, sorry, do, do you feel like the – uh, the branding of the big blue wall that it's it's still despite the struggles this season it's still that place that you want to go as a as somebody who plays on the offensive line that you want to go and be a part of do you feel like they still have that even with a new offensive line coach and obviously the uh, the inconsistencies we'll say this season yeah it's pretty easy to point to the draft success lately um, but that yeah. the, that can wear off quickly if you're not if you don't keep doing it right yeah. And, and so that that is an iffy situation there to say. I mean, if but if Keontae and Keontae Goodwin, uh, we'll get to him later too. Um, there's a lot of variables there that I don't think it's as dire as maybe we want to think it is. They just if they do a good job in the portal, they could be in good shape. Not not like top not like top of the line in the league, but middle of the road safe if they can figure that out. But we'll go ahead and move on here. Um, at Josh underscore Davis 25. Josh, thanks for your question here. Do you think they simplified the block scheme and run game with Chris returning? Yes and no. I do think Rich Sangarello, like Liam Cohen, has adapted to his personnel. Not seeing a lot of outside zone. You're seeing a lot of gap scheme, which means usually double teams and you've got a puller. A lot of times it's Tayshawn Manning. You're seeing Tayshawn Manning lead up on a lot of kickout blocks, whether it be a counter look or a or a power play. Um, that's kind of what they're best at with Chris, and that's what he runs best. So I think you're seeing a mix of inside-outside zone, and I think you're seeing Chris um, get the ball, follow a blocker up in a hole, and ram his way for five, six, seven yards. So I think that's that's really what we've seen. And again, like, they're not running a lot of outside zone. People are going to ask why they're, they're not running wide zone. I think it, at this point, I don't know what else to say other than it seems like it's just a personnel issue. Like, they're just going to have to recruit to it. And so we're going to have to see um, next year what it, if they are able to pick it up at all. But, that I mean, that's really that, that's really kind of the situation from, from my eyes, what, what I'm seeing there. Do you feel like also, I mean, when we watched the, the game on Saturday, there were a lot of times where uh, it felt like the hole wasn't there and Chris was just 
pulling tacklers with him. There was one run, um, I want to say it was late first half, where he just drugged four guys and carried it for like uh, you know, carried it for a first down. I forget. Yeah, it was, it was like fourth and one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And and uh, do you, I mean, do you feel like? I mean, there's is the offensive line did it has it improved in your eyes over the last couple of weeks or has just getting Chris Rodriguez in made it uh, covered up some of those some of those problems. In the run game, I don't think they were as bad as we thought. I think backs were missing okay. holes. Uh, they've got issues in pass pro. They've yeah. had big issues all season. But in the run game, they weren't they weren't gaining the yards they should have. Um, Cavassier Smoke was their best tailback, and when he went out, there was a big drop off of guys missing run lanes. Um, and even Smoke, I think, sometimes didn't do what you would have liked him to do. Uh, so just getting Chris in there, it's when there's a hole, he's taking advantage of it, and then he when there's not, he's creating stuff, right? Like he's a big he's a big boy SEC tailback. Um, it's demoralizing for a unit if you have something blocked and you've got it blocked up well, and the back runs into the guards back the the, the tailback runs into the guards back, and it's a two yard gain instead of an eight yard gain, right? Like yeah. it's, that's demoralizing for a group like that. So. I think what you're seeing is Chris is having some success, and then the old line starts building momentum and gaining success as the game goes. Um, so that's really what I think you see saw specifically in that Mississippi State game um, was they're starting to play with more confidence um, in the run game, which is huge for them. Um, so yeah, they that they still got issues, but you know, good tailback makes a lot. He just he gets rid of a lot of those issues. And so I think we're seeing that. And he's going to have a huge role in the offense here these last five five to six games of the season. And so we'll, Yeah, and we'll, as they were uh, coming off the field, well, while I was down on the field at the end of the game, I think uh, Horsey was coming off the field. He was, you know, talking to – just kind of talking to whoever was listening, you know, just to saying, like, who says we can't run the ball, man? Uh, you can just yeah. – no, it's clear that they have heard some of the criticisms – um, Levis took some time just kind of like talking to, to Buford and of course he did the same thing um, but I, you can tell that those guys have have heard you know the criticisms and it's you know it, it's gotten to them I know they said Buford's working really hard um, you know trying to, to fill that spot so yeah and I think it's big for Buford here a lot of the big criticisms for a lot of people was didn't rotate any guys last year and got Kentucky kind of in a situation Buford just pretty much started and played two full SEC games at right tackle. He's got a lot to work on, specifically in pass pro. But he's got some tra- like some athletic traits that you could believe in. Like That's going to be big for him in his development this offseason, is getting that, those game reps under his belt uh, moving forward. Just from a confidence standpoint, I think it's going to be big for a guy like that. Especially a guy, you know, you lose your starting job in fall camp. He kind of got lost in the shuffle there. He kind of showed some resiliency, I think, here to bounce back. And so for a guy like him, that, that's big. Um, because you're going to need him next year regardless, so you, whether you get a portal guy or not. You, you need tackle depth, and maybe that's something they could have next year because of what they're what they're getting from him right now with, with Jeremy Flax out. Um, but we'll go to this next question at FROS underscore picks. Any early looks into what portal QBs we are eyeing? So I don't I don't have any intel to share with you guys on this. Um, what I can do is I've seen what Kentucky did previously in this situation, but who they kind of targeted. 
And I find I found guys who maybe could be on this Will Levis blueprint. Texas quarterback Hudson Card was a top 100 recruit. He started a couple games this season. Was Quinn Ewers was backed up. Played some good football. Started a few games last season. Quinn Ewers is going to be back next year, and a guy by the name of Arch Manning's coming into Austin. Like, pretty pretty sure Hudson Card's going to be entering the transfer portal. Um, so that's a guy of that of, that could maybe be a target. Uh, Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson at Alabama. What does Alab- Nick Saban do when Bryce Young leaves? That's the big question. He could enter the transfer portal. Who knows what he wants to do. Uh, those are two guys that could possibly compete for the spot. They've got two more top 100 recruits coming into the program. In the spring, one of those guys is probably going to lose a starting job. So one of those guys is going to enter the portal, whether it's Milrow or Simpson. Uh, Milrow has played for Bama this year. He started the Texas A&M game. He's kind of a dual-threat guy from Texas. And then Simpson, there was a report that he was liking people's tweets saying he should have been playing when Milrow was in the game. And so that could be a situation where he leaves. And he's a both those guys are young. I believe they're both redshirt freshmen. Or, or no, Milrow's a redshirt freshman. Ty Simpson's a true freshman. So that's those are guys with a lot of eligibility left. Brock Vandergriff's another guy at Georgia. What does Georgia do? Does Kirby Smart go in the portal again? Um Brock Vandergriff was a former top one recruit. He's number three. Carson Beck's their backup. Carson Beck's probably going to be their starter next year, I would assume. Um, does he look to leave? Um, and finally, the Rich Gangarello has his connection to the QB Collective, which is like a quarterback camp that's run in California. All these California kids go to it. Jay Butterfield was a top 150 recruit from California. He went to Oregon. He's buried. They brought in Bo Nix this year. He's behind Ty Thompson, who was a top 100 kid out of Arizona. They're bringing in Dante Moore from Detroit, who I think might be the best quarterback in this class, this high school senior class. He's going to have to move. That could be a guy they could visit. I think he has some NFL tools and traits from just a size and arm strength aspect, and I believe his dad played in the NFL or something like that. So there's some lineage there. That could be a sneaky guy you could see. And then Hank Bachmeyer, I think, the Boise State transfer, another kid from California. Mm-hmm. He's got a relationship with Rich Gangarello. Matt Jones has already kind of reported this. Seems like that's their backup plan to me. I mean, you think it's got to be an, an attractive spot to play quarterback with the wide receivers, the young wide receivers that Kentucky has. I mean, yeah. The, you know, the uh, one balls, Dan Key and Barry and Brown. They got a triple dip dip here going. They've got they got these these young talented skill pieces that are going to be attractive. They've got a quarterback that's going to get drafted in the first round, high first round, and they've got an offensive scheme that's really in vogue in the NFL that they're going to run. Like last year around the Super Bowl, they had like a graphic coming out. You want to you want to play in the offense that's in the Super Bowl? Come to Kentucky because both of these. Both the Bengals and the Rams are running this offense. Uh, and a bunch of other teams in the NFL. So those three things should be a pretty strong selling point. And their thing is, like, to these quarterbacks, it's you can go to these spread up wide open schemes and you can do that, but that's not what you're going to do in the NFL. If you want to come to a place that's going to best prepare you for the because what's going to happen when Levis comes comes out, it's all all the talk's going to be how much more well prepared he is for the draft or for the NFL. Yeah. Right. As opposed to 
I mean, Hendon Hooker is putting up big numbers, but is, do you see right. NFL teams running that that kind but it's, of offense? It's not even. It's going to be on all those. That's going to be the talking point around Levis. He's the most prepared for the draft because of the scheme he played in in college, and they're going to use that as ammo on the recruiting trail. So that's all something to watch. They're going to get guys. There's going to be multiple guys pop up. There, I think there's going to be multiple guys interested. They just got to pick the right one. Rich Gangarello's got to pick the right one, um, and I think they would like to have a guy that could come in and start for two years, similar to Levis. So that that's something to watch there um, with the portal. Okay, we'll move on here. At founder underscore two, Walker C. Y'all, how many more receivers do you think the staff takes in this class? I thought this was very interesting question because the receiver recruiting has just been lights out, right? We see what Barry and Brown, Danky are doing right now. So that's got people excited. You've got Shamar Porter, Anthony Brown committed in this class right now. Shamar Porter is a guy I think has all the attribute attributes to be kind of a dude in this class. Um, big outside receiver. From another guy from Nashville, he's buddies with Barry and Brown. I think he's going to come in and have a role early. And then Anthony Brown is kind of your prototypical slot receiver. Um, that's kind of what they need, like a quick um, twitch moving guy inside that can run routes and get open and can be kind of a safety blanket in the intermediate underneath stuff. But you look at the receiver room in general, like they only have one senior in that room, Tavian Robinson, who's probably headed to the NFL after this year. I think you could see a transfer or two out of that room, but there's not like a lot of wiggle room there um, to add receivers. Demetrius Bell is another kid from Nashville. Raw as a receiver, but this guy is lightning with the ball in his hands. He gets the like he's a he's a running back playing receiver. When he gets the ball in his hands, he can just make he can fly and he can make people miss. He can break tackles and he cre- can create yards after catch. And he's an MPA guy, National Playmakers Academy, which is kind of this nat- this training center in Middle Tennessee that's got a lot of players in Kentucky. Is getting guys from there, Barry and Brown. Um, the twins, the way twins. Shamar Porter, now this guy. I think, I believe Sharp, Shamar Porter's there. I'm not sure. But Bell's another guy. He's friends with Barry and Brown. Like, Barry and Brown is a big key here. Like, these guys want to play with this dude. I think that, that had a lot to do with them getting him. And I know there's, I don't know where this is coming from, Stephen, but people are asking me, like, what is this rumor about maybe guys like these freshmen leaving after a year? I don't know where you all are getting this. I, I really don't. I, I don't. I I'm pretty deep in the deep cuts on Twitter, uh, football Twitter, and I'm not seeing any of any of this. So pessimism, just natural. I think. Yeah, I think our fans won't be able to hang, hang, uh, keep Barry and Brown, a guy like him, around. I think some of the fans are expecting the worst <laughs> here. Yes. I, I don't. I don't see the way Kentucky's recruiting Nashville. I don't see like Barry and Brown leaving. Like, why would Deion Walker leave? <laughs> You know, he's playing 45, 50 snaps a game as a true freshman. He's going to be a freshman All-American. He's going to be a preseason, probably All-SEC pick. He's on the right path to where he wants to get to. I think they're going to be fine. I don't. I mean, I don't know. Unless there's some locker room stuff I don't know about. Uh, but I, I don't know why. Just I think dynamic, just – Adam, and like you – and continue, you have to kind of continue to recruit these players that are in your locker room. Yeah. Um, I mean – what uh, I guess when you being around, yeah, yeah, I mean, for a while. there's all 
you know, uh, there's probably coaches say they don't make promises, promises made on the crew trail. Um, so you have to always fight that and keep everybody in line. You're dealing with 85 different personality types, egos, whatever. Um, some are more accelerated than the others. Some are treated different than the others. They maybe not want to be, but that's just, that's life. You know what I'm saying? It's just um, how good you are versus where, what position you play, all of that. You've got to kind of, there's checks and balances in a locker room. Um, so that, that's part of it, but that's why Mark Stoops makes $8 million. Yeah. And I, I don't know if Barry and Brown's name, um, you know, would carry more weight outside of Lexington as far as NIL deals and, and things like that. Yeah, they like – he is going to get paid this offseason. I yeah. think there's no doubt about it. I mean, that gets back to the Kentucky's NIL issue, whatever it, whatever that is, whatever little we know about it. Um, but I don't I, – Levis got taken care of this offseason. I think Barry and Brown, Dan Key are going to get taken care of. I don't think – you'll figure all that stuff out. Like Barry and Brown leads the team in targets right now at the bye week. Like he's gotten the most targets yeah. from Will Levis. And he's returning punts, kicks like he is their guy, and then they got they got some of his boys coming up here. So I think from that aspect, you're gonna be fine. And Deion Walker is just another one of that Detroit pipeline. Like went to the same high school as DeAndre Square. I think you should feel comfortable. Like those guys are gonna be here long term, and I don't know where that comes from. So everybody just just enjoy the ride right now, and we can worry all about all that stuff in the off season if. Uh, Rumors pop up, but there's always going to be a this or that. And like Stoops, what players have they really lost, really ever? You know, Jeff Bedet is the only really one of. Uh, and I think that's where the pessimism comes from. Is the, is Jeff Bedet? I was going to mention that earlier. Yeah. So and that was five. That was so. That, the culture was way different than it is now. Absolutely. They were yep. still. They had just come off one bowl game, and um, Bedet signed up to play in a different offense too than he played. He signed up to come to play for an air raid offense and they changed and became like this ground heavy out of the pistol play action, deep shot team. I mean, that's not really what he signed up for. So um, this is a totally different situation. I think, but, but getting a good quarterback is going to help get a good quarterback. Everybody's going to calm down and chill out. Um, so that's what that is. And it's look, that is luck. It's a logic on that, on that whole situation. And so we'll go to the next one. Um, and now one thing or more, uh, I do think it looks like I think they're going to get Demetrius Bell, uh, but probably the, I think it, they may have cooled a little bit on Carmelo English, the former Auburn commit. Um, it's looking like Michigan's probably going to complete that flip for him. I just think it was a numbers thing here because they don't have a lot of wiggle room. I think they like Bell and they like that, you know, keeping that Nashville relationship going. So I think that's where that's going to to land uh, there. And then so an email from Nathan Adams. Now we can get into the Keontae stuff. Um, Nathan asks, do you think they are going to use Keontae Goodwin this year, or do they waste his red shirt by throwing him into special teams? And also Corey Hodgkins emailed us and says, do you think we will see Keontae this year? Do I think they're wasting a red shirt year? No, because I don't think Keontae Goodwin plans to be here for five years. Will be my first answer to that. I think we get over... We people get. I think that's overrated sometimes. When you start recruiting better, Stephen, um, you start getting high caliber athletes. You're not going to want to redshirt these guys. You're going to want to play them. That's going to be part of your recruiting pitch. Um, now with Keontae, I think the thing is, he's just very raw. And I think 
the level of high school he played at was not very good. And these old offensive linemen can be slow cookers. They need time to develop. Um, look at Jagger Burton right now. Mm-hmm. Got good coaching in high school, was a top 150 recruit. He's going. He's in the second year of the system, and he's going through some real growing pains out there as a starter. It just takes these guys time. You know, uh, there are freshmen that come in and start at tackle throughout the country. Um, there's one at Houston. I believe Kelvin Banks is starting for them. But those dudes are absolute freaks. Um, Keontae just he just needs some time to develop. He needs to get his weight in check. He needs to get in better playing shape. Talked to Zach Yenzer a couple weeks ago. I said with him, a lot of it's firing off the ball. Um, so you get, there's stuff he's got to work on. Um, but I don't think – I wouldn't overreact to Redshirt. A lot of that could go back to his recruiting. You know, we're going to give you a chance to play. You know, We don't need to redshirt you, sit you here. And especially with Keontae, you never know when that light's going to turn on. It could turn on the, during the bye week. And maybe he could be a guy they could throw out there as like a rotation player at some point. Um, you get up, maybe you get a lead against Vanderbilt. Maybe you throw him out there again, getting a couple series, see how he does. To really kind of set him up for a big spring, and then next year maybe he can take over a spot. So that's kind of where I see him. I know people want to see him because he was this huge recruit for Kentucky, but it takes some of these guys' times. Not everybody's Deion Walker. <laughs> you know, not everybody's a freak like that. Sometimes the ratings are not always up. You know, they're pretty good, but they're not always 100%. And so I think with Keontae, he just needs he needs, he needs time to season a little bit. I still don't think you should get down on him or whatnot, but it's just going to – he was just a raw prospect, so it's just going to take him time. But all those traits that people liked about him in the recruiting – Service are still there, as in as a prospect. They're all still there. He's big, strong, can manhandle people with the point of attack. He's huge frame that can hold up in pass protection. All of that is still there. He's just got to, just got slowly. He's trying to put it all together, and so that's just where Keontae. Um, I see him listed as uh, what six eight three forty. Yeah, big guy. So I mean, and with I've, him, it was always the weight. The weight was an issue. Um, like, he showed up the All-American game. He was up, I think, north of 360. Like, he had put on a bunch of weight. And when he was at his best was when he was slim, down to, like, 320. So, for me, it's just how did, can he get a little, his weight under control. Having a full year in the strength and conditioning program is going to be huge for him in the offseason. Like, that is going to be big. If he can get his body in shape, uh, that I, that is probably one of their biggest tasks, I would say, um, With when you're talking to Mark Hill and Corey Edmond and the rest of their strength staff is getting Keontae, his body, to where we need it to be um, this offseason. So that's going to be something to watch. And he's going to be one of the more popular players, I think, in spring ball when we get to go to practice and stuff, just kind of looking, seeing what he looks like, seeing if he's more comfortable, seeing if they're working really hard to getting reps with the ones. Um, so that's just where Keontae, I think, stands. Um, another recruiting question here. Grant. McQuiston, sorry, Grant, if that's not how you pronounce your last name, please forgive me if it is isn't. What are our chances of flipping Jakeem Jackson? Uh, Jakeem Jackson, Stevens, top one fifty cornerback out of Central Florida, Kissimmee, right outside Orlando. He's committed to Florida here, uh, but the kicker here is Florida is probably going to get the number one cornerback in the country, Carmani McClain. I think he's the number two or number three prospect overall. Um, it's trending that way for them to land him out of Lakeland. They also got a commit from just recently from a top 100 quarterback, Dijon Johnson. 
So you're looking at it there. That's he's cornerback three potentially in this Florida class. Whereas you come over to Kentucky, Kentucky's Alex Safari and Deion Walker are pretty much true freshman starters on the defense this year. Keaton Wade is playing a lot as a true freshman. Kobe Albert is getting some run now uh, at, at safety as a true freshman. There's a path to playing time, and I think Kentucky's selling that. They need help at cornerback like we talked about. Logic says that Kentucky's got a great chance at flipping him, but this is college football recruiting. Uh, more times than not, Logic doesn't win out in these decisions. So we'll see. Now, Jakeem Jackson was just on his official visit here the Mississippi State weekend. He was up here with Jeremiah Anglin, who's also from Central Florida. Those two looked like they had a good time together just kind of hanging out. You know, um, there was pictures floating around the internet. Jakeem Jackson was decked out in Kentucky gear. He comes out today and says no more interviews. That has the sound of, like, Florida staff trying to nip this in the bud right quick. But we'll see. He seems to have a really good relationship with secondary coach Chris Collins. That can be big. Um, there is this, like, there is the avenue, I think, where Kentucky could flip. Logic says that, they, that that's a high high probability flip for Kentucky, but recruiting gets weird. But I, that's going to be one for us to watch and see just how things develop down there in Gainesville um, because I think Kentucky's got a really good chance to flip him. And that would be – he would be the highest-ranked player in Kentucky's class as of right now if they did complete that flip. Wow. You know, we talked about uh, – we've talked in the past about Kentucky making that, that jump over some programs. And as far as, like, being uh, the more attractive program to play for um, – you know, Florida is Florida. I mean, right. they, they have the tradition. They got, you know, uh, the swamp and everything. But, but, I mean, the way Kentucky is invested in the football and they – I mean, I don't know about you, Adam, but I feel like they've, they've passed Florida. I mean, you know, it's not going to it's not gonna be their first pick of every, of every recruit, obviously. But, um, you know, as far as – like there, there was not a On time. field results, right, the last yes. three years yes. have been better than Florida. But, like, right. and, and there, things there can change fast in sport. Right. And, in my life where I thought that, uh, you know, Kentucky going head to head with Florida for a recruit that, you know, that Kentucky would have, you know, would have a chance, you know? So it's, again, just going back to like the, the, the way things have changed over the last several years of Mark Stoops. Yeah. I mean, it would just, and it's just a big, you flip somebody from Florida. It's a big deal in conference. Um, it would be a very, uh, like a big shot in the arm for a class. that's kind of, eh, Iffy, as we stand right now, they need to close strong. There's other Kendra Gilbert's obviously another flip candidate. Uh, they're from Indianapolis. Um, he's committed to Purdue. Purdue could have a coaching change. Sounds like Jeff Brom. I mean, if Scott Satterfield loses a couple more games, he's probably going to get fired. Yeah. And uh, we'll probably have some interesting discussions on this podcast when Nick's uncle Jeff is head coach of Louisville. <laughs> um, yeah. So that'll be that'll be interesting, but yeah, we'll. I mean, we'll see. Uh, there's still a lot of time left. They've got some guys they're they're in after, but it's not going to be like super class. Like it's going to be ranked in the 30s. Um, it's going to be a lot like their other their 2015, 16, 17, 18 classes. Um, and you need it to be like that classes and not the 2019 class where they only had like four to five guys become start starting level players. And so. Um, they're going to have to hit on a lot of these three stars and turn them into something. And that's really what that will determine whether that class is a success or not. But we can get into all that later. Um, the good thing about this new podcast here, 
into the, some of this YouTube stuff, we're probably going to have like a national signing day show. I would imagine we haven't really talked about it. I'm just kind of running stuff through my head right now. Yeah. Um, but we're probably going to do up. some cool, we're probably going to do some cool stuff yeah. around NSD. So um, that's a little, little something for you, a little nugget for y'all to chew on at home. So i pretty excited about that, but we got time to get there. We got to get through the season first. Um, Will Dawson sent me an email. Um, this is more of a personal question for me. Um, he says, I'm just curious where your love of football comes from. What did you do before a living, before KSR, and how you met Nick? First off, the Knicks, I didn't know Nick until I worked here. Um, TJ Walker, who's Nick's co-host on Kentucky Roll Call. Uh, me and TJ went to high school together. We, we were buddies in college. Drank a lot of beers together. Go to parties to get all that all that good stuff. He uh he kind of like he got me on working with uh, Justin Rowland and Kentucky Rivals there for a little bit, just kind of contributing. And then when KSR was looking for someone after Freddie left to join the football team, TJ put a strong word in for me at KSR and got me on, and so kind of met him through TJ. And if it was for TJ, I probably wouldn't be here right now. And I've told him this before. I, I, I owe a lot to him, and I thank him a lot for um, really kind of going out on a limb for me when he really didn't have to. So that's how I met Nick, to answer that question. Um, love of football, I don't know. I just birth. <laughs> I just uh, – I've always loved sports. Sports in general, I was a sports nut growing up. I kept stats on everything when I was a kid. I have notebooks full of numbers that I think my mom has kept uh, at the house just – uh, instead of some kids draw, so I, I wrote uh, numbers down on a piece of paper. That's uh, so funny. I did. I did the same thing, Adam. I used to keep stats, Kentucky basketball games, and have yeah, notebooks full too. of numbers. And yeah, yeah. I would keep. I would keep score of Reds games when I was like a nine year old kid watching games at home, and uh, just always just love that. Just love sports in general, but love like that part of it, like how numbers could quantify stuff, and mm-hmm. just how you could look at a. I can look at a piece of paper and you can determine like this guy's good or hey, he had a bad game or a good game or a bad game, right? And, Pick up on trends and things like know, that. Yeah, I would. As a kid, I would sit at the breakfast table with my grandpa and look at the sports page, and he would make. Where sure Where did your that, knowledge of football come from, though? Because I, whenever we talk, I'm always amazed at your uh, your knowledge of the game. I mean, I know you played in you played yeah, in I high just, school, but I played in high school. I just was always kind of a a football nut. So I would, uh, a lot of my knowledge, like some of it comes from high school. A lot of it comes from just like looking up stuff and reading online. There's like, there's a lot of X and O stuff you can find online that can teach you a lot. Um, so a lot of it's that, but I did, I did have a baseline of like, I'd like to say like, I got a like playing for St. X. Like I got a general knowledge of like, now Above no, like above the average person. Like I knew what coverages were. Like mm-hmm. I knew what uh, you know, I knew the strengths and uh, strengths of a a three man front versus a four man front. Where we want to attack that um, a different type run game. What do you want to do? What are you trying to accomplish in a run game? Um, so I I think I learned stuff from that. I think I played I played center for my time at Saint X. I think that had like an impact on me just seeing the game. Um, from that aspect, not necessarily making calls or anything like that, just seeing, okay, we got, I'm not covered here. I need to go this. Uh, I do this because this guy's moving around me. I'd have to block this guy because this guy's got to block that guy. 
um, that um, I think plan video games, <laughs> right? Madden, <laughs> yeah, uh, NCAA football. Yeah. I think that kind of, you know, that I didn't realize sure. I didn't yeah. realize it at the time, but now that I've gotten older, I, like you can pull. I pull stuff from Madden still. Like if there's a defense, I think a team's running, and I know it's in Madden. I will want to get that that draw. Like see the play sheet. That helps me kind <laughs> of understand what you're what you can do in certain aspects. Um. And so that obviously, and then just I don't know. I just, I just uh, love football. So <laughs> I'm the dude that loves. I mean, I love, love it too. I just don't understand it yeah. as, as as in depth as, as you do. Yeah, I just I, I I've watched a lot much, of games. I'm very but... sickos committee when it comes to that. I understand that. Uh, <laughs> so that's just I just have a passion for it. And then he yeah, asked also what you did for a living before KSR. I was in did some healthcare administration stuff. I. I was working for Progressive as an auto claims adjuster before coming here. Um, Will Crawl called me, and or I had an interview with Will Crawl. He's my boss um, now, and offered me a full time job. It's one of the, let's say, the happiest days of my life, but that was one of the coolest days of my life when that finally happened because I worked for it for a long time. Um, so that that's really what I did. I was I was cubicle. I worked in a cubicle. Long story short, for seven, eight years full time and now I'm now now I'm doing this. And I get to do this because people like you all like to listen to me nerd out about football, which is uh, pretty cool, I have to say. <laughs> and I've also had like the weirdest thing for me, Steven, in this whole journey has been like uh, like my sister's friends find out who are people she hangs out with, find out that I'm her brother and they think that is so cool. <laughs> like that that befuddles me. I, I just, uh, that is crazy to me. Uh, but that is that is funny. I'll tell you this when I I think I might have told you this already, but when I interviewed for this job and I was interviewing with like Tyler Thompson and Drew Franklin and I'd read Tyler's stuff for years and listened to Drew's voice for like 12 years. Right. So it was weird doing an interview with somebody who I know everything about them right. just from what he shares on the radio show. So yeah, it was it was a surreal experience for me too. Yeah, so it's uh like been at KSR now. I started right beginning of the, like July the 2018 season, um, and so oh my God, what's that? Five years now, and so yeah, it's been a it's been a fun little ride here. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of I guess the uh, a quick background of where I come from, what I did. Um, big football family, obviously. Growing up, went to St. X games. Growing up, played at St. X. My brother and my dad played at St. X. Um, and so, yeah, and then going to game like, my grandpa was a long-time season ticket holder at Kentucky, going to games all the time. So I would go to, like, two to three games a year with him and just kind of built that kind of passion for this. And now I, I've combined it with more of more so, like, not only fanhood but passion for, like, a, like the game and kind of how it works in college football. And it just kind of has morphed into what, what it is now, uh, which is me talking about offensive guards at SEC media day um next here now we're gonna get into we're gonna shift over and it's this is the Tennessee talk so we got about four or five questions about Tennessee we're gonna get deeper in the weeds um I highly recommend if you don't read my scouting report weekly um it's a big mamma jamma every week but I kind of go all in on the game and you have anything you want to find um that's not just the basic stuff if you're trying to get in the weeds at all so betting stuff what they do on offense, what they do on defense, what the players do, advanced stats, keys to victory, yada, yada, yada. Um, so we'll get real deep into that for Tennessee week. But 
first off, we'll just kind of talk about Tennessee right now, just kind of base level. Um, Joshua Hinton email, 18 months ago, Tennessee football looked to be heading for a run of losing seasons. Heupel quickly stabilized that and turned it around rapidly to where they are a bona fide top 10 team. Is this a one-year breakthrough the way Michigan State had in 2021, or is this sustainable? I think this is a great question, Joshua. This is kind of – this is college football, um, and this this is important to kind of understand how the sport works and to not – the thing about college football is it's so easy to overreact. Um, It's where you need to be. Everything is so week by week, week by week, but you have to more look at it big picture as much as you can. First of all, Tennessee, I think it's a lesson, and I think it's why you see all these SEC schools freak out and fire coaches so fast. Because you're one good coach. The talent's there. You're one good coach away from just flipping it. You know, um, we saw Dan Mullet flip it right away at Florida. It didn't last. It was a quick window. We saw Urban Meyer flip it right away at Florida. We saw Sam Pittman in a smaller, like, he flipped it at Arkansas. And that, that a program that recruiting-wise pulls in less talent. So it took Kirby Smart one year, and then he had Georgia competing for a national championship. You see, like, coaches can flip these things fast if they have a certain base level of talent. Um, but it's can you do it year over year and build a program? I think what Heupel has right now is he's got a scheme that's ahead of the curve in the SEC. They are running Baylor's offense at Art Bryles that people could not stop in the Big 12. Um, and they're running it as good as anybody since since Art was on the sideline running it. Um, so the SEC teams are not – they're kind of – they don't know really how to stop it right now. And so they're throwing stuff at the wall trying to figure it out. Um, and so I think that it's those two – and then he had, he inherited a quarterback. He got lucky and inherited a quarterback. Heupel's gotten lucky a couple times here in, with these quarterbacks he's inherited. Um, Dylan Gabriel at UCF and then now Hooker at Tennessee. So for me, it's gonna. I really want to see him next year with what he does at quarterback. Um, there's the kid from California, Nico. Nico, I. I'm not even gonna try to pronounce. I am Aliva. I think it's his last name. Um, that's a guy who's you're gonna try to throw in, and maybe he starts as a freshman. Maybe he doesn't. Do they go portal again? So we'll have to see. Um, and then, but I also think transfer portal makes it easier to kind of fix your roster situation quickly. Uh, he landed a couple guys last year where will help, and then boom, 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 they're rolling. But the biggest thing for Tennessee right now is they got a quarterback who's really good. He's really good in this offense um, because this offense is it, it's like an option offense where they have the quarterback snaps the ball and he's making one or two reads, and then he's going. So if you get a quick-thinking quarterback who can throw the ball with accuracy on vertical routes – you can be, and you add in the run element that Hooker has. It's just you're cooking with gas if you have that. Now it's not easy for all these. For I mean, it's a quarterback friendly offense, but there's still like a read aspect you have to do with this, and you still have to throw the ball um, with accuracy on, on not easy throws a lot of times. But if you have a quarterback that can do that, it could, it's just hard to defend because how they stretch you out, they can take zone off zone defenses out of their zones. Um, and create huge voids in, in the middle of the field. In the tempo, they use tempo as a weapon. They can keep you in. They, once they get you in a look, they can keep you in it because it's hard to change plays on the fly. So if they see, you know, oh, they're playing us two-man or two-under or whatever, they, they know exactly what to go to on their call sheet. They just run it over and over and over. 
And then if your D line, if you can't, if your D line gets pushed, that it's a power run scheme. So if you get moved at the point of attack, they can just get hit you for gash of yards in the run game. So um, all those things are adding up. Now water finds its level, Stephen. Like eventually, defenses are going to figure out how how to stop this. Uh, it could be as simple as you know, if you don't have a great you know, two-read quarterback in there with Hooker. It could be as simple as that, but that's really what they kind of have going for them. Uh, you got to give them credit um, for for what they're doing. I mean, they've really got it. They've really got it rolling, and it seems like Hypo's got a really good OC in Alex Golish. He's probably going to mm-hmm. get a head coaching job soon. What happens when he leaves? I was good. That's, that was what of, I was going to say. How long can you hang on to the offensive coordinator? Yeah, all of that. But I mean, Hypo's still the brains of the operation. But that that can certainly help a lot if you got a guy who seems probably as good as Golish is. So all of that's had – it's just been a perfect storm. But more so than not, it usually comes down to quarterback and it usually comes down to talent on the roster. And I think that's why you see these SEC teams, they flip it so fast because they've seen it done in this league. Teams come in and change it instantly, and that's what Heifel's doing there in Knoxville. I mean, it, it, are you surprised that – Really, no one in the SEC has been able to figure out how to slow them down. I think uh, no, Pittsburgh may have before. held them to their lowest point total this year. They got they they held them scoreless in the, in the third quarter end of their they game. Just, Not that was early in the season too, but second half they didn't score a touchdown. They didn't score a touchdown until overtime. Um, Pitt stopped the run. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Pitt. They couldn't run the ball against Pitt. I I'm gonna watch that tape this week. I haven't really got into it. The only thing that Pitt runs like a pressure quarter scheme. Um, which means like they're kind of they're mad. They're it's kind of like man coverage. They're matching a lot of stuff in press coverage at the line. Kentucky's not really going to do that, and so I don't know how much that is, how much I could even take from that film. Um, but Pitt's usually like Pitt year in year out here recently. And Narduzzi had had really good defensive lines, and so if your defensive line can hold up and create havoc, um, that's big when you're playing somebody like Tennessee. Um, thing Kentucky has in this matchup, they got really smart linebackers. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to be able to fit the run and get out and do some things. Um, so that's big. Um, and for Kentucky, it's where they really kill it. <laughs> I'm getting in the weeds here. But, like, on these – when Jalen Hyatt was wide open against Alabama where he's running maybe a go or mm-hmm. kind of, like, up the seam, they're running switch releases on the outside. So if you get Bama in, like, a man-type coverage – you know, you can get confused on the release. That's what happened on the second touchdown last year when they got DeAndre Square. Yeah. They just caught him on a linebacker, and they did the safety didn't – safety needed to probably help his linebacker out, but he's supposed to play, you know, inside first and, you know, give and then close to the sideline throw usually. Um, they just put you in a conflict. So, you just got to – you got to try to stay out of conflict. Um, so, it's just going to be – it's going to be a fascinating matchup. I, I'm fascinated to see what Brad White comes up with, um, which kind of goes are, into some I mean, of these. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, are there? I mean, just from obviously, if this was so obvious, um, defenses would have exploited it. Do you see any holes in their offense that that teams can at least attempt to exploit? Yeah, I don't think their run game is great. Uh, I thought Alabama would slow it down. Again, I need to go back and watch that game. I haven't really dug into the film yet. I was. Surprised they ran it as well, um, but but then again they pro- they ran Hooker probably a lot more than they usually do. I think he had twelve or thirteen carries in that Bama game, so mm. that changes things when he's running the ball on you. Um, and like I had a question from Big Blue Wall sixty six: Does Brad White blitz the balls like he did State or rush three or four? Um, just 
when Kentucky got Mississippi State third and long, they brought pressure calls. They brought some unique kind of nickel pressures uh, with their secondary players. I think if they get the ball, Tennessee in third and long, they're not going to want Hooker just sitting back there patting the ball. They're probably going to bring some heat. Um, and t- Hooker has shown he'll take sacks in the past waiting, so you can get sacks on them. Um, so, yeah, I do think pressure is going to be part of it, but I don't think it's going to be necessarily a early downs type thing. Um, can UK's D slow down, UT? How do you fend this, that, this attack? you just got to not give them easy scores. You cannot, like, the bombs are just huge for this offense. If you can take away the bombs it and make them drive the field, it changes things. But that's easier said than done because they're going to put you in conflict. You're going to need Hooker to miss a couple throws because um, they're probably going to get you a couple times. Um, and then can you stop the run and can you get can you get timely stops in the red zone? Um, I like, think that's can, the big Can the offense stay on the field for Kentucky and get those long, those right, long drives will. keeping and Hooker off the field? Yeah. That's another thing. I got to ask, um, if you were designing a game plan to beat Tennessee, what would it entail? First of all, you want to have kind of a – Kentucky had the plan last year. The defense just, like, gave up so many big plays in the offense in key situations. There was a fourth down in the red zone – or not uh, – towards the end of the half. They went to Wandell twice. You could classify both as drops. And they did – Tennessee flipped it, goes and kicks the field goal, changes things right away. And then Will Levis throws a pick six. So you can't, like, give them points right away. So that that is – that's something you have to keep aware of. And then the scary thing about Tennessee is they their, their run defense has been really good. And so you can't just hammer the rock. Like, a thing that people had success with Baylor with our brows for so long was just playing keep away, running the ball, shrinking the game. Tennessee's really selling out to stop the run. But it's opening up holes in their pass defense, and their pass defense has been pretty bad. So that's just kind of what you got to do. So I, I think this game, you're going to have to get something out of Chris Rodriguez. You're going to have to churn out drives. But Kentucky's going to have to score. Like, Levis is going to have to go in there and throw the ball. Like, this is a game where they're probably going to need to get 34, 35 points to win the game. But there's some real advantages, I think, for Will Levis throwing the ball against this Tennessee secondary, which is – which is going to be important for Kentucky. But overall, I think you just got to find a way to not give up the bombs. If you can eliminate the bombs, make them go on drives, the game just gets game changes. I do think it helps Kentucky that they've seen tempo um, with Ole Miss. Ole Miss runs a version of the Baylor offense. They run the stack formations. They do some of the similar things. They're not taking the – the deep vertical shots as much as Tennessee, but they're going across the middle. It's kind of the same route. So Kentucky's seen some of these concepts before in a game um, and did a pretty solid job overall against it. And so, okay, what can they do? What can they grow off of? Just for that. And then anytime you play a tempo team, Steven, it, they're hitting you with your their best shot early. Like you, They're probably going to score on their first one of their first two drives. You just got to hang in there and not get the doors blown off early in the game. Kentucky failed miserably at that last year against Tennessee. Uh, yeah, I think what they scored their first – they scored two touchdowns their first, like, five plays or something yeah. like that. Yeah, Kentucky – I mean, hell, Hypo probably – he has probably an opening 15, 18 plays he wants to run. He probably didn't get even get through the card in the first half. Um, yeah, it was four just, plays, two touchdowns on four plays. The second one was the the DeAndre Square one. You said was the uh, third and seven at the Tennessee 28, and it went for 72 yards. Yeah. That's what you can't – you just need to make them – you need to make them run plays. Um, 
and then set it. Once you do that and you've seen it and you've adjusted the tempo, then you can really kind of just play football. But it's getting to that point. I think when if Kentucky gets settled in and just it becomes a football game, they're going to be fine. Yeah. But it's getting to that point. I think that's why the Ole Miss game was so huge. Kentucky settled in, um, and they even did so with special teams gaffes um, and offense not finishing drives. If they can, and they also almost won the game. So I think it's going to be kind of similar here. Yeah. Um, you just got to settle in and get get into that second half. You get in the second half, I think they're going to have a real good chance to win. With an offense like Tennessee's, I mean, I think the, the turning point of the game last year was that pick six, because Kentucky was kind of matching them, and that was that you know that that was the difference. I think it made a yeah. Uh, there was twenty eight game at that point. Tennessee caught some breaks in this game. There was a they went for it on fourth down um, in I believe second quarter, early second quarter. They called pi on Vito Tisdale, which was a kind of a bang bang call. Um, First down, Tennessee goes and scores short after that. You got the Kentucky. I, I had to look up what the halftime score was, but Kentucky was driving. 24 21. Kentucky went for it on fourth down, didn't get it, and it was tied at 21. Yeah. Kentucky was trying to take the lead at the end of the half, and I think Tennessee uh, got the ball back and then ended up kicking a field goal, and so it flipped. Yeah. Well, you, you have to think there if they, if Wando catches one of those balls, they probably get in field goal range. Um, yeah, they kick the field goal up, go up twenty four twenty one. They get the ball out of half, go down there and score. They're up thirty one twenty one. Totally different game. They just dominate the middle yep. eight, and it's a totally different game. Uh, so that that was a huge part, and then the, obviously the pick six. So those like those really three instances, right? The Vito Tisdale PI, and then the face mask at the end. Um, those three instances or four instances right there: the Vito Tisdale PI, the the two drops by Wandell, the pick six, and the missed face mask. Yeah. Because the thing about the face mask was the face mask puts them in field goal range where they take the sack, they get the yardage, but they're still behind yardage-wise. Where they would have had eight, ten more yards, they could have kicked the field goal, and they would have had more time and all of that. That that was the thing with that. People like to argue, well, you got got the first down. It didn't matter. No, they lost time. I think they had to call a timeout. They lost the yardage. They, they lost all of that. So that that made a huge impact on the on that situation there. That game probably should have been in overtime. It would have put them so, at the thirty four yard line. I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So you uh, get put, if yeah. if they get five to six yards there, bare minimum, it's a forty. You know, it's a forty five yard. It's makeable. It's not a chip shot, but it's makeable. Um, that was. I mean, that was for like the break. Tennessee got the breaks in that game. It yeah. was very much a 50-50 game, but they got the four big breaks in the game. And, and I still want to know, what did Stoop say to the referee to make him throw There's a 15-yard penalty? Yeah, I forgot about that. No, uh, yeah, I mean, like, who throws a 15-yard penalty in that situation? I mean, I know Kentucky converted the first down it was somehow awful. on a 20. Was it was that? awful awful officiating. The officiating was Yeah, terrible. that was – why why take the game out of the players' hands like that? I, you can argue Stoops did that, but, I mean, they're on the referees the whole game. We're on the sidelines. We hear yeah. – both, you know, all the coaches are on the referee. So it's just like, what could he possibly have said to deserve a 15-yard penalty? But Yeah, that's uh, – um, and then finally, I just think this is a huge game. I've talked about this a lot, but this is – this could – Kentucky's got a chance for an all-time win here. They mm-hmm. really do. Uh, really, like I think people are getting – like Kentucky's a legitimate top 15 team. And they're getting Georgia at home, and they're going to Tennessee in the perfect spot to play Tennessee. 
odds are they're probably going to get one of these. I really do think that. Um, now they got to get healthy and all that. The offense needs to score, but they're going to have they have real chances in both these games, and they need to t- handle their business in the other three. Um, none of those are slam dunks. I would uh, outside of Bandy at home should be a slam dunk, but outside of Missouri and Louisville could challenge them in certain ways. But these Tennessee and Georgia, they got a real chance here to really. And especially this, they can really stick it to Tennessee here. They really have a chance to really stick it to them because they have a good. Kentucky has a good team, but that's not the talk of any of the, uh, any of this week. It's going to be Tennessee's, you know, the great, the greatest. And if they can find a way to go in there and win this game, it's just it, it helps change things. Like from a like that's just a huge selling point that they're going to have, and it gives. Like it's gonna fire the fan base up if they could go down there and beat Tennessee. This Tennessee team, like it's gonna be, it could be one of the sweetest wins ever. Um, I think Kentucky's got a real chance in this. So just like get ready, this is a big game. Kentucky, I think, is gonna give Tennessee one of the. They're get close to their A game, and I think it could be good enough to win. I really do. Uh, some things. Don't ask me how this happened, but I'm on Tennessee TikTok. I don't know. I mean, I used I did work in Knoxville covering Tennessee. For for one season, but somehow I'm I'm, in, I'm on Tennessee TikTok. They they think that they're playing for the national title, and and they have a reason to think that. I mean, they're the third best team in the country. Um, yeah, you just have to they put beat your, Alabama. What if this was Kentucky? Like, put the shoe on the other foot. How you know? I don't blame them for thinking like that. Um, but this is how like yeah. this sport, like Stephen. This is how this sport works, man. These. It's a one-week scenario. You come in, and I'm just telling you, they are going to be looking ahead to Georgia. They just are. Oh, yeah. And it's two weeks of just getting nothing but propped on, pat, patted on the back. You're the greatest ever. Little – Kentucky's – not only is Kentucky, they're coming in with a really good team. That's why I think Kentucky's got a really good chance here. They're coming in perfect scenario. It's a – Rivalry. Usually, these games happen in rivalry games. Like when the other team is up, it's the rival that's able to stick it to them. For Kentucky, there's not going to be any intimidate. Like they think they're better than this Tennessee team. You know, they they're yeah. They think they're coming. There's not going to be any intimidation at all. They just won in that venue two years ago with a lot of the same players. Like they're not going to be scared at all of this moment. And they're probably going to. Yeah. We've seen them in the past. They kind of thrive. Um, yeah, in situations I mean, there, there like will this. be a hundred two thousand four hundred fifty five people. There, as opposed to where how it was in 2020, it, it will be it'll be a, a great atmosphere. Yeah, but I, this I team is this team is this team has played an outstanding atmosphere. They played yes. Georgia last year. That was loudest yep. I, I, loudest stadium I've ever been in. They played at Florida this year when that fan base was mm-hmm. all charged up. Um, they've played in like this is not like that's another thing. Kentucky's used like the biggest thing in 2018, the Georgia game. It had stakes, but Kentucky wasn't. They hadn't been on a big stage like that before. Yeah. yeah. Now they've been on some some bigger stages because now these fan bases are more ready for these Kentucky games. Um, so these these environments are different, and we've seen Kentucky go in and win um, in big places like mm-hmm. the Ole Miss game. That was a crazy environment. A lot of because of the Kentucky fans there. Um, that was a yeah. big like they played in big games. I just think they've got a real they've got a real chance. I don't know if I'll pick them to win, um, but they've got a real chance here, and I just think. I just want you to sit and think about it, like how this could happen. If it, like, if you took the helmet logos off and you saw number twelve, number eighteen, is that's going to number four, number eighteen, and these two teams were like pick, bang bang, two and three in the preseason, 
These two teams have NFL quarterbacks. One is rated a little higher. One maybe has a little bit of college numbers. These two teams have, like, every game's a one-possession game. You look back in the last four years. Oh, I'm, I'm probably going to like the underdog here. They've got, in Tennessee, and the other team's got a look-ahead spot to the number one team in the country next week. Like, there's just a lot, there's a lot there that yeah. you could see Kentucky going in there and really having a chance to pull out a huge win and one that would have, like, People would talk about it a long time around here if they won that game, especially years after you know losing to Tennessee, and you could hang, you could just shove that, and Kentucky fans could shove it in Tennessee's face for a long time. So um, that because of that, there's a lot there where I could see Kentucky um, has a great chance, I think, to pull off an upset in that spot. And then finally, we'll get out of here. Drew Franklin asked me, "What's your go-to Roosters order?" Okay. Go in there. Usually, I sit at the bar. Yeah, there. If it's pro- just, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, go sit at the bar. Maybe sit at the table. I prefer uh, the I bar, would... but the table works. Go ahead. <laughs> sorry, a little bit of a delay here. Um, but I, I, I would uh, say that I don't know that there would be. Um, it, this isn't Kentucky playing Lamar in Louisville. They're not twenty-seven and a half point underdogs, right? I mean. This is a much more winnable game than that one was going in, I would imagine. I mean, uh, and as far as, like, a win for the fans, I mean, this would rival that one. This would be bigger. Because uh, Lamar won yeah. was huge, but they were already out of Knocking the playoffs. Knocking Tennessee out of the playoffs. Yeah. It would True. just be yeah. – it would be it would take away their chance to win the East, um, potentially. It, it just would be – it would be bigger. Uh, right off to, to lose to Kentucky on the hills of Alabama would be something that fan base could not comprehend. I mean, it would just like it would drive them crazy. Um, like they would talk about it for years. Like, how do we lose to Kentucky to ruin a national championship, a potential national championship season? Uh, they talk about it for. I mean, that's how, yeah. that's what they could do. And so, like, we're going to get into that all next week. Um, but we'll get out on this one final question: Roosters to go order or go to order when I go to Roosters. Those of you listening know I'm a big fan of the fried chicken sports bar chain. Yep. Go there all the time. Um, uh, Fern Creek Roosters, Barstown Road is my go-to spot usually. Um, sometimes I venture out to Middletown Roosters. Um, originally started at Preston Highway Roosters. Um, but go to usually try to sit at the bar. Bud Light Draft is an absolute must. Keep them coming. Um, quick, like... We go. Uh, some people like to go out and have drinks on Thanksgiving Eve, Stephen. Um, yeah. Usually, me, my father-in-law, maybe a couple of my friends, we always go to Roosters and have. Oh, maybe that's one awesome. to two, yeah. one to two many Bud Lights or uh, cold beers. Um, what's the what's your food order though? Because I got mine. I, yeah, so it just depends on what kind of day you're looking at Roosters. Are you just going to eat, or are you just hanging out all day watching games? You know, are you staying <laughs> for a long time? Um, if you want an appetizer, like. Potato skins are good. I like the potato skins. Um, but what me and my wife always get, their nachos are the cheapest thing, I think, on the menu. But they're just like ballpark nachos. Like the kind you would get yeah. at, at you know, a Little League game or a yeah. youth football yeah. game. And so with jalapenos, like those are just like, just straight go-to. Get, get out fast. You got an appetizer. Um, for me, it's Tim Wings traditional, all drums. I'm a big fan. of I know some people like all flaps, but I'm all drums. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not yeah. a big guy on like the multi flavors. I just want when I want wings, I want like hot sauce on them. Just buffalo sauce. Give me the wings. Yeah. Side of fries. Eat. Scarf down the wings, and I'll mix up. Sometimes I'll go ranch. Sometimes I'll go blue cheese. They got really good blue cheese at Roosters. Um, I have not tried that. I've been told from people that dig blue cheese. It's probably one of the better blue cheese places. Um, wow. I like their. I don't no, no. like a lot. I don't like a lot of blue cheese, but I like their blue cheese. So it's a nice, nice switch up. And so that well, that re- really the key is Bud Light, hot wings, and anything after that is gravy. I know the wrap is good. I do divert sometimes and go get the wrap. Um, that's a go-to special for my wife Taylor. But yeah, go ahead. When people were talking about the Chick Fil A versus versus uh, uh, Popeyes chicken sandwich, I was like, they haven't had the Rooster's chicken sandwich yet. Uh, I was introduced to that a few years ago, and it is it's my go-to. Like when yeah. I want a chicken sandwich, like I'm I'm going to Roosters. I live in Fern Creek, so I, it's like right down the street. Yeah. So the be- the best thing about Roosters is like the prices are very reasonable, and they do not skimp you on food. Like you get a lot of food when you go in there. So that is. Yeah. That is it, and it helps that it's right down the street from my house, and like it's got everything I want: TVs, cold draft beer, laid back environment, wings. What, what more could you want? And so that that is my goal. Go to Roosters. It's if you're gonna get an appetizer. Uh, potato skins are good, but nachos. It's more our, our speed. Cold draft beer. Just get a draft. Don't get a bucket. Just get. They got really good draft beer. I like the hot ten drums. I like it. I like their hot. Hot is good. Like their donkey is like if you like more spicy, you get the donkey. But the hot is like a good speed. Like you get the you get the spice, but it doesn't burn you up, right? Um, yeah, and then and then fries yeah. obviously, and you go to, um, you know, you get a couple beers for dessert, keep the draft beers rolling. It's a good time. Yes, it is. I'll probably get there <laughs> at some point this weekend for sure. Maybe they might be a Friday night. I'm, I'm getting I'm getting hankering for roosters as we're talking about it. Yeah, um, and my stomach's growling thinking about it. So that and KS Bar, you know, mm-hmm. those two places seem to do it all right. And Stephen, uh, 11 Personnel is brought to you by Port Royal Plants. I think I was supposed to read this at the beginning. Hope I don't get in trouble. This is usually Nick's specialty. Um, a Kentucky Proud product that is grown, processed, and manufactured in Kentucky. Because your mind and body deserve quality products you can trust. Visit portroyalplants.com to learn more. Try out their products. Check out Port Royal Plants' CBD Natural Tick, Mosquito, and Buck Spray. A great product for any out, uh, outdoor tech activities, including tailgating. Going to football games or hiking during the pretty fall months, and right now it's like bonfire and patio season, right? Like people yeah, are getting in their backyard, bonfires mm-hmm. have the temperatures turning. It's Port yeah. Royal. Keep those help keep those bugs away. So check check out our friends at Port Royal Plants. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for us here. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Love and personnel. We'll be back next Wednesday. I would assume Nick Roush is going to be want to be here for the Tennessee episode. So, um, oh yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe he can sneak away. But we'll be back next week. Love personnel. Uh, thanks for listening, y'all. We'll have to definitely visit this mailbag uh, episode soon. Seemed like a lot of people like that idea. So, uh, let us know what you think about the episode. If it's something we should do in the future, um, just drop a comment here on YouTube or uh, send us a message on Twitter. Um, but anyway, thanks. And we'll see y'all later.